Today on Blue 58, the Packers running backs were one of the strongest units on the team in 2022. And if the rest of the team, coaches included, had been able to just let them do their thing, the whole season might have been different. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. It is windy to a degree that I have not seen in quite a while, where I am recording right now. Unusual weather day at the PowerSweep headquarters. Uh, but overall, we're, we're sticking with it and we're getting through it. So if you hear a little bit of wind in the background, that's what that is. Hopefully the house doesn't blow away or we lose power. That would be a fun interruption to podcasting. So if something gets a little bit janky sounding in the middle here, we'll uh, we'll chalk it up to that. We've got stuff to talk about other than running backs before we talk about the Packers running backs. First and foremost, there is at least reportedly a new coach in town. Well, not in town. Nobody's in town in Green Bay right now. But they've hired Greg Williams, and that name gave me a little bit of pause the first time uh, that I saw it, because there's obviously a famous defensive coordinator in the NFL named Greg Williams, but it's Greg with two G's. That is the famous one or infamous one that we should say, uh, connected to the Bounty Gate scandal in New Orleans. No, this is Greg with one G Williams, who apparently will be taking over for Jerry Gray in some capacity. The Packers themselves have not officially said anything about this move yet, but presumably he's going to be some sort of defensive backs coach. And this is an interesting move for a couple of reasons. First, uh, he does have some playing experience. Early 20th, 21st century here, not 20th century, 21st century, Mr. Williams was a an indoor football league player. San Francisco Demons, Indiana Firebirds, Chicago Rush, uh, played with those teams from 2000 through 2005 or so. And incidentally, if you've never been to an arena football game, maybe carve out some time to do that. I think it's a worthwhile trip. Uh, a game that I took in uh, watching the Green Bay Blizzard, one of the best sports experiences of my life. It was a lot of fun. I haven't seen anything like it. And if other arena football games are about as good as that one, I think you're probably in for a good time if you check out an arena football league game, uh, such as it is now. Uh, I know the arena football league has gone through some some tough times uh, the last few years and probably not even around in the same capacity as it was, uh, certainly in the early 21st century here. And uh, even in the last couple of years, I know things have changed a lot. But if you can get to a game like that, indoor football game, a lot of fun. You should check it out. Anyway, after playing in the Arena Football League, uh, Williams, and even while he was playing there, did a little bit of work at uh, Arizona State, the College of DuPage, and then got a really a his first big coaching break when he got a job as the defensive backs and recruiting coordinator at Arkansas Tech, moved up to Pittsburgh a couple of years later as a secondary coach and graduate assistant, then the big jump to the NFL in 2009, an assistant linebackers coach uh, with the San Diego Chargers, took over as the assistant secondary coach from 2013 to 2015, was with the Colts, the Broncos, and the Cardinals since then, and now takes over as some sort of secondary position, you would think, in Green Bay. So interesting that they got a guy with some playing experience. Interesting that they've got a guy who's steadily worked his way up the ranks and has some experience coaching not just defensive backs, uh, but the secondary as a whole, and also some linebacker stuff in there too. And I think most importantly, to me at least, they went with an outside hire. Because I think if, if there's a, a bit of a problem the Packers have had, I think, in the Lafleur area, it's been, things have just become a little bit more insular over the course of the time that he's been there. And I think that is the natural tendency for coaches. You tend to stick with guys you know and promote from within whenever possible. 
the Packers go with an outside hire here with no like super strong connections to uh, existing Packers coaches. I haven't even identified really any, but if you, if, if I'm sure there are some out there, the, the coaching fraternity in the NFL is just that small. Uh, you're going to find somebody who is connected to the Packers coaching staff in some way, but it's not like he was, it's not like Joe Barry was the defensive coordinator in Washington or in Detroit and Greg Williams was his right-hand man. This is a little bit different sort of hire there. They did have Aubrey Pleasant in the building, who came over from Detroit, was a secondary coach there. And I, I wondered if they would just promote him to fill Jerry Gray's role. Legitimately surprised they didn't go that direction, but they, they go with an outside hire. And I think that is, at least as far as what we can know about Williams right now, a positive step for the Packers. It's a little bit more imaginative thinking that I would have expected from from Lafleur at this point, because well, things have frankly not been all that imaginative as far as coaching hires over the last couple of years. Before we talk to running backs, talk about running backs, I wanted to take a second and answer a listener question here. Travis uses our SpeakPipe service, which you can access uh, in the show notes or show description for every episode of Blue Fifty Eight to send in a voice question. So I will step aside and let uh, Travis ask his question, and we'll see what we what we can do with it. Here we go. Here's Travis. Doesn't it, is it possible that the, the Packers draft and develop and sign players that are just too nice of guys? Like, I don't want to, like, say that they're, they're, like, soft or anything, but seems like they lack edge. Like it seems like every, every Super Bowl t- winning team has like a few personalities who are like off kilter and not like straight and narrow, great community people. They just have that edge. Is it possible that like the Packers draft too much w- with integrity in mind? I think that is a good question. And it kind of speaks to a couple of things that we have addressed on this show before, dating back to, I want to say, middle of last season. We've had the culture discussion here a few times, but this is, is, is an interesting twist on that. And so I'd like to take a couple minutes to sort of dissect it. So first and foremost, do the, guy, do the Packers have guys that are really, let's say, killer instinct? And I like the way that Travis approaches this question because it's it's kind of one of those things, as you look at a football team, you know these guys when you see them. They're guys that, to use Travis's words, have a little bit of an edge to them. They will get in your face. They will stand up for their teammates. They will play to the last echo of the whistle. I'm not saying they do extra legal things, but if it came to that, these are the sort of guys that would be willing to do that. They're guys with a little bit of edge, maybe a little bit of swagger, put it that way. Do the Packers have a lot of guys like that? Generally speaking, I think Travis is onto something here. I would say no. I don't think there are a lot of guys on the Packers who have that kind of edge. I think Devontae Adams had that kind of edge. But in his case, I think it's the, the sort of edge that comes with being the sort of player that he was. Just you get to be so much better than everybody else. Yeah, you're going to have a little bit of swagger and edge to you. But he had that even when he was not you know, fully powered Devontae Adams. He had that edge like he believed that he was better even early in his career. And I think that's what made 2015 so frustrating for him and for Packers fans too, because you can see that sort of attitude in him. But on the current Packers, 
I would say the list is pretty short. Who are the guys with that sort of competitive, borderline arrogant edge? I would say Jair Alexander. I would say Rasul Douglas. And I would even say Keyshawn Nixon in a different sort of way. Jair and Rasul are basically the classic defensive backs. They are willing to talk trash. They're willing to get in your face. They're willing to get chippy. They're willing to play handsy and grabby and annoy you. And if things go their way, they're willing to tell you about it too. Picture Jair Alexander doing the gritty after he breaks up the pass intended for Justin Jefferson. He's the exact sort of guy who, if you have a signature dance, which is a weird thing to have, he will give it right back to you if you fail to make a play against him. Keyshawn Nixon, we described it, I think, in the podcast before, too, as being a great kicker turner because he is just not afraid to die. And, you know, obviously that is a extreme hyperbole. But Nixon is the sort of guy, when he's returning a kick, he's willing to hit the hole hard and fast, and he doesn't care who's on the other side. One of my most vivid football memories is actually in a situation like that. Seventh grade football, I got to return kicks. It was a lot of fun. But it was also a mystery what was going to happen on a given play because it's hard. If you've played football, you know this. You get used to seeing everything that's happening on TV. When you play football, you can see a very little bit of what's happening around you. And when you're returning kicks, you can't wait to see what happens. You just have to get the ball and go. And I remember very vividly returning one kickoff in a game, seeing a gap on the right side of the field, running for it as fast as I can, stepping around a block, and boom, getting a helmet right in the left side of my ribcage. Knocked the wind out of me. I was on the sideline on all fours trying to get my my bearings back, get my wind back as, as the next offensive series began. And I had to miss the next series because I was not ready to go. I was just, somebody had come out of nowhere and blasted me. Nixon returns every kick with the kind of abandon that you need as a kick returner, knowing that there could be somebody ready to just pop you on the other side of a block. So he has that edge for sure. Circling back to what Travis said, do you need some guys like that on your roster? I think they're good to have. I think absolutely, if you can get guys like that, they do help your football team. Look at the early... 2010s Packers, as they were growing into that Super Bowl team, you've got guys like Josh Sitton, you've got TJ Lang on the field. You've got guys that are almost like hockey enforcers. I mean, it wasn't... Josh Sitton and TJ Lang were not the nicest guys in the world. And they, even today, are pretty feisty if you talk to them online at all. And you can. it doesn't take a lot of searching to find TJ Lang getting into it with people online. But Lang and Sitton were the sort of guys that you wanted to have on your team because they were willing to get down and dirty. And that is part of why I think make them made them great offensive linemen. I think Clay Matthews was a little bit that way too. And you can point to other examples over the, the course of the, of the years. A lot of good fullbacks tend to be that sort of way. And I think it does add a little bit of edge to your team. It is the sort of thing that can backfire on you. You can draw penalties. You can you know, lose focus as a team a little bit too. But if you can get a great player 
who also has that edge, or even like not one of your top line superstar players, but in that next tier of player who has that kind of edge, I think it can be an asset to your team because it does help your culture. Think of a guy like Lucas Patrick when he was in Green Bay. He was always willing to be charging downfield, peeling guys off the pile. And if he saw something that he perceived as a slight, he was ready to go. If he saw somebody getting chippy with Aaron Rodgers or a Packers running back or Devontae Adams, he was the first guy there. He was ready to fight. And that makes you a very good teammate, a very desirable sort of teammate to have. The problem is, and I think Travis identifies it here, is that it's hard to draft for. It's hard to search for this kind of player. And we've we've talked about this when we talked about the Packers culture in reference to leadership, because it's hard to just say, we want guys who are leaders. Because if you're a guy who's got this leadership sort of personality, but you're only ever going to peak as like the the sixth best offensive lineman or like eighth best offensive lineman or like fourth wide receiver or circling back to our last episode, the third linebacker. I mean, maybe Chris Barnes is the best leader in the world, but if he's going to be buried on the bench behind Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker, what does it matter? Because you need these guys to be good players first, and then their other attributes can come through. So whether that's them being a good leader or them having an edge, whatever that is, they need to be great players first. And I think if you're looking for the problem there, we kind of get to it in a backward sort of way. If you're wondering, you know, do the Packers need more leaders? Well, how do we get more leaders? Well, you need more guys that are good players and are going to have an opportunity to be leaders because they're being, they're excellent players and they're getting into a position where other people are going to look to them as leaders because they have an opportunity to be one. Okay, we need guys who have a little bit of a competitive edge to them. We need some guys with some fire, some intensity. Well, how do you get those guys into a position where they can be an asset in that way? They've got to be good players first. So what is the common theme here? Why don't the Packers have those leaders? Why don't they have those guys that have that edge to them? It's because they haven't done a really good job adding a lot of really good players. They haven't had enough of those guys hit in the draft. They haven't had enough of those guys come in in free agency and be assets. I think if you do want to say anything about Zadarius Smith, at least in 2019 and 2020, he had a little bit of that edge to him. He was willing to get chippy and mouthy and, you know, dust up with some guys. And he was also a very, very good player. And that lends credence to those other parts of his game. People want to follow the leadership of the guy who might be chippy and talking trash and things like that if he's good. The flip side example to all this, and this is going to date me a little bit as a, as a football fan, but remember Freddie Mitchell? with the Philadelphia Eagles in the early 2000s. Overall, in the course of his career, he had a couple a couple of good games, maybe one good season, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, but you would think he was Terrell Owens, the way that he talked. Uh, the nickname that he had for himself, Fred X, uh, the, all the dancing he did, all the talking he did, you would think he was... You know, as good as a as a as a Terrell Owens, a good as as good as a Randy Moss, something like that. But he wasn't, and it just turns into a sideshow really quickly if you're not a great player. So it's good to have the those guys that have a little bit of edge to them. It's good to have those guys that are great leaders, 
but they got to be good players first. And I think that is the ultimate problem that we saw with the 2022 Packers and maybe the Packers culture as a whole. They just need more talent on the roster. They need more guys. That is the big problem. And I think it's a problem they're going to have to continue to try to fix, just inject more talent into this roster, whether Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback for the team next year, whether it's Jordan Love, whether it's somebody else, who knows? I see they've been talking to this guy from Eastern Carolina a bunch at the Senior Bowl and related events. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the Packers starting quarterback next year, but regardless of who it is, regardless of the configuration of the team, they just need to keep finding ways to add talent. And maybe one of those places is running back. Segway into the final segment here. Packers running backs, our topic of conversation for today as we go position by position through the 2022 Packers roster. We have arrived at running backs. And funny thing, it sort of was, the Packers really only had two running backs this year, functionally. In our analysis, we've restricted it to guys that have played 100 or more snaps on a given year. We really just have two. Because the three running backs, other than A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones that spent time on the roster, played a combined 34 snaps on offense this year. So let's cover those three guys real quickly. We've got Tyler Goodson, who is a promising practice squad guy. Great physical attributes. A little bit on the small side, but he's as fast and as quick as you could hope for. He was active, or excuse me, he was on the 53 for one game, but was inactive. Kylan Hill ended up playing just one snap on offense and did touch the ball on that snap for what it's worth and eight snaps on special teams and then was shown the door after going through the entire ACL rehab process because apparently he had some opinions he couldn't keep to himself. We didn't ever get a firm description of what exactly those uh, his remarks were or what exactly that was, but Matt LaFleur was pretty explicit about him not doing the job that they expected him to do and part of that was supporting your teammates and Well, put two and two together there, it seems like maybe Kylan Hill had some opinions about his teammates that he should have kept to himself. And I think it's telling that he never ended up on another team after getting run out of Green Bay. And finally, Patrick Taylor. He played 33 snaps on offense, 122 snaps on special teams. The Packers' third string running back or number three running back by default, I guess. Not a whole lot to say about Patrick Taylor. I think you got about as much out of him as you could this year. But uh, that's just how the Packers' running back room went. The other two guys, though, quite a bit to touch on here, starting with A.J. Dillon. Uh, A.J. ended up playing 537 snaps on offense this year, 10 on special teams. He carried 186 times for 770 yards, scored seven touchdowns on the ground, had 28 catches for 208 yards and no touchdowns. He ended up recording 11 explosive plays this year as in our tracking of that. That was up from nine last year, which actually surprised me a little bit looking back on his stats year over year. I'd had high expectations for him coming into this year. I was kind of thinking of him taking on more of a lead dog role in 2022, while Aaron Jones maybe was more of a complimentary back. I think you could see things headed that direction at times in 2021. It looked like Dylan Starr was on the rise, and the Packers were going to find a way to just sprinkle in Aaron Jones while Dylan did the bulk of the carrying over the course of the year. And it didn't really work out that way. It was basically still the reverse. Dylan was the complimentary back, and Aaron Jones was the guy they wanted to touch the ball more often than not. And as we'll talk about here in a second, why wouldn't you? Jones had a phenomenal year. But 
based on what he did in 2021, I thought he would end up leading the Packers' backs in total yards and break 1,000 rushing yards. Those were my big predictions for Dylan last summer. Not really there. Didn't quite get there. Aaron Jones was comfortably their leading rusher and more than outpaced Dylan when it came to total touches and total yards. Overall, though, I think you could see Dylan putting it together a little bit more down the stretch. He was much better in the second half of the season than in the first half. Weeks 1 through 9, 98 carries, 389 yards, and one touchdown. Average 3.97 per carry. Four explosive plays in that stretch. Weeks 10 through 17, though, 88 carries, 381 yards, and six touchdowns. 4.3 per carry. Seven explosive plays. And I think you could really see down the stretch, partially because the Packers were winning more, kind of the role the Packers wanted for Dylan. Dylan was a big part of those late-game drives where the Packers were really trying to salt it away. He did a lot of work late against the Dolphins and against the Rams. That's the kind of game that you want Dylan to be playing. When the Packers are trying to kill clock, just move the ball, keep getting first downs, just hammering away with A.J. Dillon, throw in Aaron Jones as a change of pace here now and then. You got a running game, and you can move the sticks, and the Packers showed that they could move the sticks doing things that way down the stretch in the 2022 season. So overall, I think if you really twist my arm, I would say maybe Dylan didn't quite meet expectations this year. But I think it's probably the result of some things out of his control. And we did a bit of a study midseason on which of the Packers running backs was more susceptible to poor offensive line play. Aaron Jones does a good job creating regardless of how the Packers offensive line is doing. Dylan is a lot more susceptible to poor offensive line play. And you can see in the split there, as the Packers' offensive line got a little bit healthier, was a little bit more consistent, well, here comes Aaron Jones, or here comes A.J. Dillon, becoming a bigger part of the Packers' offense. He manages to settle in, find a little bit more room to work with, and becomes a more valuable part of the Packers' offense. He was better as the Packers' offensive line got better. So I think if you're just looking at Aaron A.J. Dillon in and of himself, well, maybe he didn't meet expectations for the year, but it wasn't necessarily his fault, but maybe that's the problem to begin with. The Packers picked A.J. Dillon in the second round in 2020, and if you're going to invest that kind of draft capital into a single running back, you would think he would be the sort of guy who could create for himself. And really, I think in 2022, we saw that A.J. Dillon might not be that kind of guy. He's still a physical marvel, can do a lot of great things. But if you don't have great conditions around him, well, it's going to be a bit of a problem. So what comes next year? I don't really know. I don't think the Packers are just rushing to look to extend A.J. Dillon as he heads into the final year of his rookie deal. I would suspect as we look at his 2023 season, he will probably be better overall if the offensive line is more stable, and I think there's good reason to believe that they will be, at least David Bakhtiari is going to be going into the season without significant knee issues if he if the Packers decide that they want him to be a part of their 2023 team, which it looks like they do. So at least he should be available to start the season. They should be more settled on the right side of their offensive line as you know things have been sorted out there over the course of the 2022 season with Uh, potentially Zach Tom at right tackle, maybe Yash Nyman at right tackle, and John Runyon settling in at right guard. It looks like things should be a little bit more figured out up front. 
and that is we haven't even mentioned Elton Jenkins being ready to go at left left guard or Josh Myers or maybe somebody else taking over at center. Uh, but at the very least, the, the offensive line should be as good as they were in the second half of the season, maybe pre-Bakhtiari appendix situation. That should be a better environment for A.J. Dillon, which if you're A.J. Dillon and you're thinking, I'm going to be hitting free agency a year from now, is good news for you. Because if your stats look really good and people see you know all the athletic numbers that you have, they see big, beefy, athletic running back, Maybe you cash in next spring. You stay healthy, which really hasn't been an issue for A.J. Dillon. Might be time for a big free agent deal. I think that would have to be exciting for a guy like him. That would be exciting for a guy like me, I can tell you that. Aaron Jones, 630 snaps on offense, just three on special teams. Went back on a couple of kickoffs to catch him after uh, Keyshawn Nixon was hurt in a couple games late in the season. Didn't end up returning any kickoffs, but funny that he was back there anyway. Overall, the stats, pretty incredible. I think you're having real discussions as to whether or not this was his best year. Looking at his stats, it's it's tough between 2019 and 2020, but 2022 is right up there for Jones. 213 carries, 1,121 yards, two touchdowns on the ground, a career high in yards. It's the second time he has averaged more than five yards per carry on 200 or more carries in his career. That is rare. If you take nothing else away from this podcast, remember how rare an achievement that is for a running back. How rare is it? It was only the eighth time that has happened in Packers history. And Amon Green and Jim Taylor and Aaron Jones are the only players to do that more than once. It's fitting since they are now one, two, and three in Packers rushing total history. Aaron Jones deserves to be considered and ultimately remembered as one of the very best running backs in Packers history. He also had 59 catches for 395 yards and five touchdowns. And it's weird to call a season where he had a career high in catches, disappointing from that perspective. But I think that's a problem with usage more than anything. To that end, Aaron Jones lined up in the slot on 11.6% of his receptions. I think that's a good thing. I think that's the sort of thing that we wanted to see from Jones. That is a career high, according to Pro Football Focus. The previous high was 8.2% in 2020. However, the average depth of target on an Aaron Jones reception was negative 0.2 yards. That is the lowest in the Matt LaFleur era by more than a yard. The previous low in terms of depth of target for Aaron Jones was 0.9 yards. Not negative 0.9, just 0.9. More than a yard further downfield than he was in 2022. Aaron Jones was just a check down receiver, or as the case probably is, he was a pony package RPO swing receiver, which was terribly unimaginative and ultimately, I think as we see here, not all that productive. Worth noting and important to note that Aaron Jones also had a career high five fumbles this year, including one noteworthy fumble that may ultimately have swung the Packers season. Jones does have an unusual and probably just unlucky tendency to do that. But he did it, and it's part of the story. Expectations for him had to be high coming into the year, and they were. That's what I wrote down last year. That's what we said on this podcast. I hoped he would match his 2020 production. Got pretty close. If you want to be generous, I would say he was right there. 
from that perspective, he probably met expectations. I predicted he'd play all 17 games, and he did, and I also predicted he'd have a career high in receiving yards. He did not, though again, he did get to a career high in receptions. Look, I think this was a great year for Jones. The last real image we see of him, I totally understand if that leads a bad, leaves a bad taste in your mouth, but in a year where the Packers' offense was down across the board, it's hard to not absolve him of basically all of that. If there's any issue with Aaron Jones in 2022, it's that he just didn't get the ball enough. He didn't get the ball enough as a runner because he showed that he's going to be productive no matter really what the situation is. He didn't get the ball in effective ways as a receiver, which I think showed a lack of imagination from Matt LaFleur. But he did everything else that the Packers asked of him about as well as you could possibly do it. So what happens to Aaron Jones next year? Boy, it feels like we've been asking this question since like 2019, but it is the million dollar question. I think the Packers are going to bring him back. Should they though? That's a tough thing to say, isn't it? Given the cap realities, kind of don't think so. But, but, if you're moving on from Aaron Rodgers and building around Jordan Love, guy like Aaron Jones would be pretty nice to have. The problem is you're going to end up paying him basically forever, though. Which, if the cap keeps going up at the rate it is, might not be all that bad of a thing, but you're starting to really be betting against some pretty well-established trends in terms of when running backs start to decline here, because Jones is heading into his late 20s, and he's really starting to head past the age when running backs begin to decline. But let's end it on a positive spin. Even if we don't think they should bring him back, even if you're just bringing him back because there's going to be major upheaval on your offense and you're going to end up paying for it forever, if they do keep him around, we could start to get into some interesting territory. Because if they keep him for 2023, you're probably moving some money into 2024, so why not 2024? And if you keep him around for 2024, could he still produce in 2025? He's well into his 30s at that point, but I ask because he's about 3,000 yards behind Amon Green and Jim Taylor for the top spot in Packers rushing history. Those guys aren't too far apart, so you might as well just put them right together. It's like 130 yards or something like that. Now, if you keep Aaron Jones around for 23 and 24, maybe 2025, look, it'd be a lot, and it's probably impossible but he's had 4,100 yards over the past four seasons, averaging like in that 1,000 to 1,100 yards a year sort of range. If he could maintain that level, it's not completely impossible that he could be the all-time leading rusher in Packers history. It's a long shot, but if the Packers are committed to keeping him around for 2023, again, the, the cap picture for 2024 probably won't be all that different. And the cap is probably going to continue to go up. And if you don't think you can get a guy who's better than Aaron Jones, you probably keep him around again. And if he can do it again for 2024, why not 2025? And who knows? I mean, a lot of people spent a lot of time predicting Donald Driver's decline, and he just kept going on forever until he was well into his 30s. And I know it's a very, very different position, but guys have produced into their mid-30s before. And if the money is right and Jones wants to keep trying, I think maybe if we're talking about guys who have earned the right to go out on their terms, well, if Aaron Rodgers gets that, 
maybe Aaron Jones can get something like that too. Again, not saying that's a great idea, but even I think for the most cynical Packers cap watcher, you got to be a little bit excited about where Aaron Jones could end up in terms of some of the all-time great receiving or rushing marks in Packers history too. Because he's already done a lot as a former fifth-round pick to get to this point. What say he goes a little bit farther? That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved with this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.